Yeah. So when did you get into this? Well, this is uh, was back in the mid seventies, actually, and uh, back in those times, most you didn't. Most of the older hunters would tell you it just was impossible to box bobcat rig them. And uh, I, I always kind of agreed with that. I didn't know any better, but I'd seen guys in the, when I was just a kid in the sixties, I'd seen guys bear hunt, you know, but of course it would strike dogs from the rig on bear, but that's of course kind of understandable. But anyway, uh, I'd actually went out with this, uh, friend and he had a couple dogs that were, they were decent dogs. They weren't what I'd call great cat dogs, but I went out with him and they, I sat there and I watched them. They struck Bobcat off the box and uh, found, we found the tracks, ran the cat, whatever, you know, and, and I, you know, I was about 20 something years old and I thought, well, heck, if they can do it, I can do it. And I had a dog called Ranger that was an excellent cat dog, but he'd never been rigged. So I, you know, you know how youth is. I just figured, well, I'll do it. I didn't really know how, but outside of throwing them up there and I had a 74 Bronco no place to rig, so I had to put it. I bought me a luggage rack and put it on the hood. And I had Ranger and a, a Red Bone Bloodhound cross I put up there on the on the hood. And I would I just cruise around. Uh, I had it at night then too, so I just cruise around and hope they'd do something, you know. And I I couldn't do it very long because I just imagined I was running over dozens of cat tracks. So I would do it about <laughs> thirty minutes, thirty minutes or maybe an hour at a time, and I'd have to put them down and road them. And finally, they uh, they they didn't really strike one, but they I noticed they started wiggling their tails up there, and I said, well, maybe they're maybe they're smelling something. Well, I stopped and let them down, and sure enough, they they were they were smelling cat and ran them and treat them and stuff. So I then decided I wanted them to bark before I put them down. So when they uh, started wigging their tails, I'd get out and I'd start hissing them and hollering them and encouraging them to bark. Sure. And as soon as the, as soon as they barked, I would let them down, and it just they just went from there and just made uh, the old ranger was still one of the better, best dogs I ever owned, you know, as far as rigging, well, all around, but as far as rigging too, you know, so that's kind of how I got started. And then there was, there was other guys, uh, there was an old hunter named uh, Don Panky that lived up the North Umpquad, hunted Bobcat his whole life. And he was retired. He was much, much older than me and he didn't believe it could be done. So he wanted to go hunting with me. So he came down and we went out single tree out of Winston, went up there in the bluffy country and old ranger stuck, struck uh, two bobcat off the box that day. One of them we got jumped and saw and it, we lost it in the bluffs. But from that time on, old Don said, boy, I just, from that moment on, he said, I had to have me a rig dog. He said, I couldn't rest till I got me one, you know, and, and he finally did. But, and then, you know, more and more and more guys, you know, once they, once they saw it could be done, they just, uh, they just started putting their dogs up there or hunting with somebody like my buddies and stuff hunted with me and we'd put their dogs up and get them to go in. But not all of them would strike. Of course, some of them, uh, some were more natural at it. Some took a little, little time and some of them, uh, never did, never would rig. Yeah. Some just don't have it. Yeah. They just, for whatever reason, they, they just, some of them might, you know, smell one, but they won't bark. And I, I, you hear a lot of guys say, well, if a dog's real barky, they'd probably make a rig dog, which, is probably true to an extent, but I've seen, uh, I've seen silent dogs that were good rig dogs, you know, they wouldn't bark on a track on the ground hardly at all. Yet they'd smell a track off the cat off the box and they'd yelp a couple times, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I guess that's like when I started, I guess I didn't know there was any other way to hunt other than, I mean, like, obviously if it snowed, you'd look for a track, but like right. bear hunting, you know, every dog a guy owned was rigging. 
so like when I heard people looking for rig dogs, it, it was kind of surprising, but I was in my twenties and knew everything, you know, and now I <laughs> yep. look back and even the dogs I'm hunting now, I mean, I got one that, that might, you know, might give me a bark or two. I mean, you really got to pay attention to her, like you're saying, body language and, yeah, and it is funny how, you know, some of them just have it and some, you can't train it into them. They just won't. I know I've seen them that would just ride up there. You would think they would just act like they were just looking. I mean, just like they would strike on us just as soon as they got sent and they wouldn't, they wouldn't bark a lick. And, uh, you I've seen some kind of about half lazy up there that, that made great rig dogs. And I, I like, I like mine. I've had several of mine out of my dogs that would just, when they smell a cat, they just bark a time or two. They're just like, yo, 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 you know? Right. And, and I've had some that, uh, like my dog right now, he's a, if he's not hunted regular, he's mouthy up there. He barks a lot, which I don't like, but I don't try to break him from it because I had one years ago that was the same way, and I broke him off of barking up there, but I also broke him from boxing. Oh. And uh, it it took about a month for him to start back again, but he also, you know, he also babbled. He was just he was a hyper dog, and he had to bark, you know. So I had to live with it, but. Yeah, it's like a give and take, right? You put right, up yeah. with some for for something else. Yeah. I didn't like I say I don't I don't didn't like it then. I don't like it now. But like, you know, I I the, the old hunter dog I called him. I I would shock him on uh, when you know just for babbling. Not of course not when he was striking, but he mm. couldn't couldn't separate the two, so he just shut up completely. And uh, it was about it was about thirty days when when he started back up again. But but he also started babbling, so I just. You know, you have to live with it. A box dog, man's worth a fortune, you know, and, and yeah. some, some things, just like you said, you got to put up with to get what you want. So I did, but yeah, I learned the value of a good rig dog after I lost all mine. I, you know, unfortunately that's what it took. Cool. I had, you know, really good rig dogs. I would say not trying to sound egotistical, but you know, like we were talking blue ticks the other night and that yeah. Henry dog of mine, I mean, a lot of, a lot of our customers have heard me talk about him. But he was um, he was a Cameron and Uchman bred blue dog that I worked yeah. with Brett Williams on, um, and you know we studded out to his mail and and we got some really nice pups out of it. They were, I mean, that was that whole litter that we showed and hunted, and you know they did really well. But the one thing I will say about that dog is he was a rig dog deluxe. And if he did not smell anything, you could drive around for 12 hours with that dog and you'd never hear him whimper. But when he found something, you knew it. And it didn't matter <laughs> if that track was right under him or if he had to go 500 yards to actually get to the game. It's like next thing you know, he'd open up, you'd turn him down and it'd be dead silent until he got where he was going. And then it was on and you lose that. I will tell you that one hurt. Oh, I know, and especially you like to say when you're starting over, when you got to start one from scratch, or if you lose your old dogs and starting over, that's a that's a pain, you know. I mean, you gotta you gotta have the right dog to start over with, you know, because you got the wrong ones. Well, you're you're wasting time basically on trying to train something that doesn't have it in it. So it's a it's a process getting back getting back where to where you want to be, you know. Yeah, it's kind of like tree dogs. I think you know you can train a lot of dogs to tree, but like to naturally locate and tree, like that's in them it's either going to do it or you're going to enhance what little bit they have. Right. But I, that dog you're talking about, is that Romeo? Yes. Hey, yeah, he's he's kind of, why don't you describe high. him a little bit? 
Oh, well, okay. Uh, he, uh, he looks like a registered walker, but he's out of my old blue tick female. That's she's over five eighths blue tick and she's got her daddy was registered and all. But anyway, he turned out, uh, tricolored and, uh, he was, a uh, probably, he was the most natural dog I've ever owned in so far, you know, now I'm 69, but he, he was cold tracking, treeing and running and everything before he was a year old. He started treeing at eight months old on the, on the big cat and he just, and cold tracking just about the same time. And he just constantly just got better, you know, uh, a fast, real fast learning dog. Uh, he's kind of, I call I kind of think he's mostly blue tick traits. He's, uh, cold nose, big ball mouth, really, he moves the track good, he, he runs, he'll, he drifts out a little bit, but not so bad that he runs off track a lot, you know, he really carries the track good, when he hits a road, you think, uh, even on an old coal track, you'd think he's got a jump track, he just, just balls to the wall down the road, you know, just full speed, until he gets it off the road, and then it depends on how old the track is, he'll slow down then, or if it's hot, he'll keep burning it, but, uh, He's a pressure tree dog, uh, just a just you know just a really well rounded dog. He's one of the four best I've ever owned, uh, as far as that goes. You know, tree and cat by himself. He's treated a lot of cat and fox by himself. Uh, his sire is that a, a lot of people probably know Willie Sutherland in California, but that's the that's the stock of dogs I bred into mine, and they're they're. Walker, uh, blue tick. They got a little black and tan in them way back, and of course the the running dog. And uh, Willie's uh, Willie and his dad have bred those up for close to ninety years. I mean, hundred years, I think, is what John told me. His cousin. Yeah, I know those uh, guys been in dogs a long time. That whole family. Yeah, yeah, they've got pictures back when when Willie's eighty years old now, and they got pictures back catching cat when he was just a kid. You know. And you can look at their dogs and see their, their blue tick, uh, walker running dog crosses. You know, you can tell just by, by looking at them, but they were the, you know, they were the type of hunter. They just bred for ability. They weren't worried about the color of a dog, you know? Right. And, uh, they just, Willie's got, uh, got some dandies, you know, he, he still hunts hard. And, uh, it was kind of weird how I got that. Cause I was looking for a stud to breed to my old female. That I wanted one that could do it alone, you know. I don't, I don't mess with dogs that uh, are running a pack, basically, because a little scares me a little bit. But anyway, a guy named Dave Anderson in California seen my a little ad I'd put on Big Game Houndsman, and you know I didn't know him from nothing, but he called me up and he was telling me about this dog. Uh, the dog's name is Rod, and come to hell, he didn't even own the dog. It was his buddy's Willie, and he was retired. And he said that's one of the best hounds I've seen in my life, you know. And I, of course that that uh, really intrigued me. So I called Willie up and talked to him for a while. And, and, uh, Dave said he won't brag on the dog. So, so, you know, don't worry about that. But anyway, I finally offered Willie. I said, Willie, I'll pay you. I didn't tell him exactly. I would have went to a thousand dollars, but I didn't tell him that, but I told him I'd pay <laughs> whatever, whatever he wanted or whatever he asked for, for, to breed to that dog. And, and he said, well, I'll just take a pup, you know, him and, uh, his cousin took a pup each, you know, and I, I kept three and, uh, the two, I had them at a tree and both males at eight months old sat there and hung the tree. And the little female I'd kept was actually my favorite. I did, she didn't tree. So I said, well, you know, I said, I, I kept three in hopes of getting one. So I'll, I'll sell her, you know, and mess with these two. And I sold her to a friend down there in Grants Pass. And anyway, she's treeing now too, but, but, uh, 
I kept the two males because they showed the tree in earlier. And uh, it's just uh, that whole litter, there was about, I can't remember, there was 10, I think uh, two didn't get hunted and one got cold and the rest of them all running treed, you know, uh, just a best cross I've ever made too, you know, so. It's always good really when it's the whole litter, it. huh? Yeah, that's, that's unusual because I, I haven't never bred a lot, but, but usually uh, what I ended up with is like one or two good ones out of the litter and, and the rest of them, it, uh, wooden tree basically was what the, uh, what ended up, uh, they, the reason they didn't make it is because they wouldn't tree, but they had to, usually they had a lot of running dog in them and for whatever, you know, it, it just knocked the tree in them or for whatever, you know, whatever reason they didn't tree. So, uh, I always had a trouble that way and, and, uh, uh, tell it, you know, you get those guys in California, that's a good, they've bred those dogs for like, you know, just like we said for decades, getting that tree and put into that mixed in with that running dog and pushing and stuff to, to catch game. So mm-hmm. it really, uh, really paid off. I, as a matter of fact, I, I can't remember if I've told you about, it. we made that cross again and I've got, I've got two, uh, what there, there'll be five months old Monday. I got two pups out of this litter. So I'm, I'm hoping that they, <laughs> that things go the same way, but you know, with breeding, you never know, but, but, uh, I'm hoping they turn out as good as the first litter. So yeah (laughs) it's funny how sometimes the same cross is you know you'll either hit it right on or you can have the exact same cross and they're they're different you know they don't do what the other ones did i know i've heard that i've heard guys that like the first cross was excellent so they made it again the second cross was dudge you know Mm -hmm. just i mean you wouldn't (laughs) you wouldn't think that would happen but you know there's so many genes and dogs that make that uh that make the dog you know so many different qualities you got to have you can kind of understand it if they just don't mix up just right you know well like you and i were talking the other night um just because it's a a blue tick or a walker or a running dog like there's no magic quarter this you know eight this half this no no. because those genes if they don't line up they don't line up and those traits i mean you've been around long enough you see that in a line of dogs it's there because of selective breeding, you know? Right. So it's like, you don't do any research and knowing where you're getting your dogs. Hey, it sounds like you were pretty lucky to be in a pretty, pretty good group of guys there. Well, yeah, I've had a, over the years I've had like the, I've had buddies and stuff that I bred into their dogs. They just, they'd happen to, they'd get that, they'd get that dog and do it all. And we'd breed back and forth into each other's dogs, you know, to try to keep the, keep the balance going, you know, uh, get right. in a balanced town and and like i say we didn't we didn't like we didn't get litter fulls of them but when you start getting uh uh you know several of them that make it that that you're doing something right you're you're progressing anyway you know right yeah. so like the the you talk about the running dog stuff mixed into them or you know i know a lot of guys call them northwest cat dogs you know whatever guys want to label them oh, but west that's coast yeah west coast cat dogs you know it's it's not a new thing. Like it's not something that's just been around in the last 10 years. You guys have no. been hunting and mixing that stuff in for a long time. Yep. Well, an interesting story there that, that Don Panky uh, and Sid Roper were two of the first cat hunters I'd ever heard about as a kid in Roseburg. And uh, Sid had bought a, a little female from a coyote hunter that came up. Rick uh, Turner was his name. He came up from California and they was, he ran coyotes, but he bought, he bought a dog off a, uh, Dan Sutherland, that was Willie's dad. And he, he, because he had to have the money and he'd planned to buy this dog back, but 
worked out he didn't so the dog's name was bell and rick was a coyote hunter so he sold her to sid and uh, anyway uh he got i don't know how many cats he called the dog alone with him and he just hunted one dog and it just so happened that i got i got uh into that line of dogs too and then when willie come up to breed, uh, see the pups that we had bred. He come up. First thing he asked me was, "I did I ever hear of a dog called Bell up here?" And I said, "I sure did." That's one as a kid. That was one of the first cat dogs I ever heard about. And I told him, uh, "My blue tick goes back to her." And then he started telling me the story about how his dad bred her up and how he sold her and everything, you know. So, and she was, uh, I think, if I remember correctly, she was tree dog and running walker, and a little, little like forty-five pound female, and. Uh, and he also, it was interesting, he said she was the only walker colored one in the litter. Uh, so I assume the others were blue tick and black and tan. But she was a dandy, you know, and uh, she kind of like, she was one of those legends you hear about, you know. Right. Uh, and anyway, I happened to, that's one of the lines, well, that was Willie's line back then too, but I happened to get into it. So actually, uh, the dog I bred raisin to, they were actually way back there, they're related, you know, so that. They say that helps when you get the common foundation in your dogs, you know, as far as reproducing. Right. And uh, I think that probably worked or it had to help, you know, but. Uh, I would agree with of, that. Yeah. As long yeah. as you don't go too tight, <laughs> you know, so I've been there. We, we've had some really, really tight ones that. Well, you know, I've never been a, I've, I have done that. I, uh, matter of fact, I bred uh, Romeo back to his mother which is an inbred cross and i did that once before it's I, I it's not something i would recommend doing but i think when you uh, i think if you got a couple of really good dogs it might click for you right but i've i've got a i kept a i've got a blanket back male out of them that looks he looks english ticked up uh, and he's he's not didn't start anything like his dad but he's coming along gradually but i sold some other i sold a couple females to a couple guys and gosh dang they've they were just bragging on them before they were a year old, how well they were doing, you know? So, and I haven't, I didn't get it as far as I know, I didn't get any physical faults or, or mental problems, you know, which if right. you can run into, if you, if you get carried away with that stuff, you know? Yeah. It's such a, I mean, it's a gamble to start with. Yes, I know, and that's is. what we always looked at was, you know, find the dogs that you like. Like I can tell you, there was a dog that my mentor, you know, he used to hunt, his name was Luke and he came from a buddy of ours that was down at bear camp with us. And man, he just reproduced. And, and you know, that's the hard part is not all good dogs will reproduce. Nope, um, Henry true. was that dog. I mean, he was a bang up dog for me, but nothing he ever really produced was anywhere close where Luke, it was like, God, you know, we still talk about those dogs and try to figure out ways you know to get kind of back to it and they kept it going for a while but you know now it's it's getting i would assume it's getting a little washed out you know he hasn't been around for years but i don't know that's that's something you gotta i think that's when we were talking about selective breeding that's where you gotta because you'll get i mean guys will have a 
really good male and then naturally guys that have you know average mediocre females or even less will want to breed to them you know mm-hmm. and and they sometimes a guy will maybe do it for money or because it's a buddy or what and as soon as you start that stuff you start watering your line down you know yeah you're, you're, you're weakening it it's 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 extremely hard to find two top dogs to breed together i mean like top female top male that's out of something that's very very difficult you know uh Oh, yeah. I mean, and think about them both being alive or reproducible at the same time. Like, you're lucky to find those dogs that make the magic cross in a lifetime. Like, oh, I wish I could have bred so-and-so to this dog, you know, if they were still around or whatever. Right, right. Finding them that are still even around or within traveling distance. I mean, now I guess you can ship semen. A lot more guys are doing that. But, God, it, it is something that I tell you, if... If you're being real honest about dogs, that's a really hard thing to find is good pairings and being able to admit that they were junk. You know, like sometimes it just doesn't work and it's no reflection on you per se. Right. You can, just like you just said, you can breed. I've seen two, I've bred two top dogs and like say most of the, most of the pups weren't, there might've been one or two in the litter, but the vast majority didn't make it. And why? You know, I, of course, and I'll admit too, I didn't know much about the backgrounds of some of them, which is the big, mm-hmm. I think that's the big decider there. Cause the, the more you know about the parents and grandparents, I think the better, the better decision you can make on breeding. Yeah. Uh, I know like uh, the dog I've read Romeo's dad, he was, he was a cat dog, do it by himself. And both his parents were, were dogs that could do it alone. And then a lot of, a lot of them further back. So that all. And then on my side, I know what, I know seven, I think at least seven generations back what my old raisin dog goes back to, you know. Right. And, and you know, I, and my, my, uh, what I look for in dogs, I got to have a cold nose. They got to sound like a hound, good confirmation. They got to have good speed. I'm not, you know, extra fast is a, is a bonus, but that's, I'm more concerned about tracking ability than I am speed, you know. Right. And then. And then, of course, they for Bobcat, they got to be able to be good locators and and tree 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 good enough for you to get there. I don't care if they do it every breath or not, but I want them to tree good enough that I can get to the tree. You know. Sure. Yeah, without looking at the Garmin. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that. You know, those those less modern equipment's kind of it can hurt you. And and I mean, you can help a dog do things that you without you would you wouldn't be doing anything. You know. Right. Uh, you can use them that you know kind of might be detrimental if you were if you took a dog that you had to have the garmin to get and then you bred that dog and you still gotta you have to buy a new garmin every year or two you know to to keep catching games so they electronics kind of it's kind of a six of one half a dozen of the others they all say you know oh it's changed dogs i'm telling you hands down like without a doubt you will never convince me that the technology hasn't influenced the type of dogs that we're hunting now Cause I see it in my own backyard. I mean, yeah. there is no way that these dogs would have cut it for me. Um, at least I shouldn't say that I'll back up the way that I've conditioned them and the types of dogs that they are very different than the dogs I used to hunt with, you know, um, not saying that they couldn't do all those things and, and maybe excel in some areas, but I'll tell you, I don't have a lot of grubbing them up cold races because I don't let them do it. Or I don't have rock solid tree dogs because they stop when it goes up and I walk, you know, versus having to sit there and listen to them and, and get there. 
it's like I know that it's going to be right here in this area and walk in and if they're out of tune, heck, I'll find them for them. It's right, uh, right. stuff that, you know, I say the old timers endearingly, but that wasn't going to fly back 30 years ago. Right. I've heard of that. I've heard of guys doing that before, you know, tree and cat, and it just kind of ended and they'd walk in there and find a cat where, the, like you say, like the dog was stayed in there around the general area where they could find it. And, uh, and you know, you got a treed cat there with the, and another thing is a lot of guys like a tight mouth or even silent dog, you know, and back in the old days, I mean, you just, <laughs> you'd be looking for the dog most of the time, you know, and nowadays you still got the GPS where you can still follow right along with the dogs barking or not, you know? Right. So was that yeah. a thing back when you guys were starting with, I'm going to call them the West coast cat dogs, you know, when those were becoming noticeably different, I mean, because of the traits and, and they have a look to them too. I mean, if guys have seen them, they all kind of got a look. Was was the tight mouth a thing you guys were looking for back then, or is that a new generation, you know, thinking think it's helping them? No, back because I was, you know, I was born before the electronics, and everybody had a, their dogs were, every one that I knew almost had a uh, open trailer. I mean, they opened coal tracks and jumps, but I did meet a, I met a guy or two that had dogs that didn't open, they didn't open on a coal track. And of course, this was before electronics, so what the one guy, the one guy put a bell on there would help you a little bit, but they, you'd meet them up in the woods. I met both of them up in the woods later and they'd be, their dog was out tracking me, but they had to wait till he, they're trying to find him when he started opening on the jump track, you know? Right. And they were just, you know, that's something I, I've never, I wouldn't, I couldn't put up with that then, or I wouldn't put up with it now. You know, it's just not, not something I like to hear the race. I like to hear him trail and stuff. So sure. I want him to be barking and, uh, and that's, like I say, as I mentioned, you know, now with the GPS, you don't, if you'd like a silent dog, you can hunt them with no problems now, you know. Right. Yeah, it's different. I can never seem to find the right combo. They're either way too open or like these dogs, they'll slip out quiet. And it's like, guys, just bark. Like, give me like two or three to ship somebody that's a little <laughs> more open. And of right. course they do it right as they're cresting the hill. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, now we're going to let you know that I'm, I'm out here doing it all alone. But those varmints are different, you know. I mean, and I know you're running a lot of cat and fox. And, you know, I, I find it interesting that all these dogs, that pretty much all the guys running these West Coast varmint dogs, they all go back to the stuff from 50, 60 years ago, you know, or older. It's those traits have kept up over the years and like consistently produced that style of dog. I think, you know, a lot of them, you, you can't probably can find many dogs out unless they were registered. You probably can't find any dogs out here that don't have some running dog. Right. You know, the, the amount might differ. Uh, personally, I like to keep it down. I like it probably, I, I probably like, like a quarter or an eight somewhere around her. Cause just a little bit of running dog goes a long ways. Mm -hmm. And, and like I've mentioned to you, you kind of, I mentioned to somebody that uh, you, when you cross into them running dogs, you know, most people, you, everybody wants something to catch game, but you, you can also, you can lose your tracking ability. You can lose your nose and you can lose your tree. And so you got to have that kind of mix up right with the, uh, with the tree dog in, you know? Yeah. Like and, you were talking to me about that. Cause it, like we said, it, I've seen running dogs that got just as good a track ability or not better than some straight tree hounds I've ran with. 
Um, but it's getting the right combo, you know, and getting those genes yeah. to line up just right. And that's why, you know, a lot of this stuff is, it's pretty harbored, you know, it stays in tight groups and, you know, the guys that get it, they stick with it because it's worked all these years. And you got to right. think like for the listeners where Robin's hunting is not easy ground. I mean, I'm not going to give away where you're hunting Robin, but <laughs> well, I, I know it's not easy and, and it is, <laughs> well, I, I mean, to me, it's like, I call it the God forsaken coast. It's just yeah. steep. You got cut banks, you got, you know, gravel roads, if we get snow, it's like, you, you know, you start at the bottom, there's nothing, you get to the top and it's patchy. So you're, you're trailing through different conditions. Right. And those cats are smart, you know, especially in this coast range, the guys that are running them, they're no slouches and those cats know how to get up and move. So like, it made more sense to me when you and I started talking dogs and, and traits and things like that. You know, you, you were looking for the same thing back then that we're all striving to find now. It's just that balance of, you know, what I think of when I think of the running dog mixed in there, it's track speed. And, and you touched on earlier about speed and the importance there, like it's a bonus. But I, I think what it, there was a big revelation for me was when I wrapped my head around their speed and there's track speed. And right. if you can consistently move a track faster, it doesn't matter if that dog can run the fastest. You know, sometimes right. the best dog is running in the middle and I've hunted with a couple of really nice dogs and I got a pup off of one. Her name was Cindy and my buddy Brandon had her. And I will tell you that dog ran from the middle, but by God, she held it together and knew how to pick her head up and run when she needed and how to work it out. I mean, probably one of the best dogs I've ever hunted with. And That's it was right. all about track speed because there were no bobbles. It, it's like. This isn't a NASCAR race. You're not clocking top speed. It's A to B, and whoever gets there the fastest is your fastest track dog. That that's exactly right. I was going to say that's pretty observant. A lot of people, a lot of people wouldn't notice that, but just the dog that's leading ain't always the one that's carrying the track. It's just a lot of people. You know, they think naturally the dog out there in the front's one pretty much doing it, but. You'll see a lot of times when you got that dog that's maybe running a little behind, they'll get up there and they'll make a lose and that lead dog will be running all over trying to find that track. And then the, the real track dog won't even miss a beat. It'll just come right up through there and just keep right on going on the track. And that fast dog will fall back in there with it and pull back out in front of it and, and shine like a dime, you know, right. But just like you said, that, that, that dog in the middle is one well, that's one that's actually carrying the track. It's like an airplane taking off. You know, I think of it like some of them dogs and I got a couple right now that I was just talking with my buddy about, and they're at that point where, I mean, they're not pups, you know, they're, they're two, three years old. They're, they're pretty well started. Um, I shouldn't say well started. I mean, like they're going to run and they're going to catch maybe not everyone, maybe not solo, but like they're, they're contributing to every single race that they're put in. They're either taking a front on a leapfrog or they're working through a lose. They're contributing and doing a good job. But yeah. at the same time, I see them get hooked up and it scares me to death because it's like they're just pulling back on that joystick. That head's coming up and they're running and they're competing <laughs> to get the front end and own it. And next thing you know, it's like, oops, missed our turn. Whether that <laughs> takes five seconds to figure out or 20. 
by that point, even if they owned the front of it, it's it's gone now because I guarantee you Fancy and Rose are coming right up the rear and they're no more than 50 yards behind them ever. I mean, I would be surprised if they're not like looking at each other constantly, but they're not going to swing wide and miss like that because they've learned. And I, that track style, man, it, it is so different to guys who haven't seen it. And I know that because I went from running straight blue dogs with a very different track style to kind of similar stuff to what you're saying, that running dog mixed up stuff. Yeah. And I, I'm no official on it. Like I'm no expert. I, I don't <laughs> get out there like some of these guys that are pounding the woods five nights a week or more. But when you really start looking, I think I was telling you, it, it's like some guys can look at a track or, or a, a race and it was either good or bad. They caught it or they didn't. And, and they don't give it a whole lot of second thought. But for me, it's like, overanalyzation of things and you start looking at these little pieces and realizing like it's all out there if you're looking and you got your eyes open you can see a lot of what's going on amongst a pack just by just keeping your eyes open yep that's me i'm i'm the exact same way if i lose something i gotta i think about it and think about it and think about it until i think i came up with what happened you know right i mean you never know unless you see the game sitting in a tree for sure but i I think it's a pretty reasonable, logical conclusion, you know, is what I, what I come to, you know, and, and that just, that, uh, it just, uh, just something that if I lose it and I don't know why. And, you know, that's another thing on the GPS is you can, you can watch them dogs, how they track and what they do, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, if they will say you got a backtracker, one of the probably biggest thing I've ever called dogs for over the years is backtracking off the tree. And with that GPS, they might be away from you where you can't hear them very good or whatever, but you can look on there and see what they're doing, you know. Right. You got your old dog. If your old dog, and that's one reason I like pressure tree dogs, you got your old dog up there tree and you see this young dog, well, he's coming right back on the dang track, you know. And that, and, you know, you don't put up with that too Get much, on the button. <laughs> right. To see if they can, if they're smart enough to come around or, or uh, you got to let them go, you know, so. Yeah. That's one of the good things about the electronics, you know, you can, you can, and you can see a little bit about track style too, you know, if, uh, if you know, say like my, like my dogs that stay close to a track and I've had them that, you know, gosh, they'd swing off out there. I don't know, a long ways off the track looking and stuff, you know, right. And come back in and, you, you know, uh, do little tricks like that, that I can see and watch and kind of figure out things that way, you know, so. Well, and the one thing you, you brought up the other night when we were talking too that I thought was really interesting is having enough independence to run them and having enough smarts to get where you need to be. Because like you and I were talking about split races and like these fox are yeah. starting to pair up. They always do, you know, in yeah. the early spring, late winter. And it's like, you know, they never seem to split far. You know, that, that vixen will usually hang pretty close to a den it seems like or this is at least what i'm putting together and that dog fox will make big swings out sometimes but they're never out of hearing and then you'll get in a situation where you got two races coming together and it's a it can be a train wreck i mean it could either blow up right there or they look <laughs> like a million bucks and all of a sudden you got dogs splitting back off and they never i've never noticed them change game though you know, like on mine, if they're split and running, 
the dogs that I've seen them running with, they kind of just stay with those when they split apart again. But yeah, having a dog that knows it's got it, even though another dog is barking like crazy because it's running its own jumped race and staying put where it needs to be. Like that's a trait that I don't think a lot of guys think about because we all want them to jump to where the game is and do that right. leapfrogging and, you know, progress a track. But at the same time, like you sure don't want a dog pulling off a of one and bumping the other. I mean, <laughs> then you end up with two empty trees. That that's something I like. I, uh, I like when my, I don't like, I didn't, I don't like the dog splitting up. I like them to stay together, but when it happens, I want them to, uh, I want them to stay on their own game. You know, I like them to stay after it. And I've had one thing I was tracking two one time and I had three dogs on one and Romeo was on the other and they end up, they crossed, they got within, I don't know if it wasn't for the brush, they could have probably seen each other, but they were going opposite direction. Like one was going North, the other was going South and all, they all stayed on their own track. You know, they didn't, uh, they didn't pull in. Right. I know a lot of guys would probably prefer that they all got in on one, but mine, mine do that all the time. They stay, they stay on the track they're on without honoring the other dog. But, but also when they tree, when they tree and there's other dogs still running, they'll hold the tree. They won't pull either, you know? So that's right. kind of a, that's something I, uh, like I say, I like a pressure tree dog for, if you're going to hunt more than one dog, I, I want them to stay, stay treated under pressure. So do you think they know, um, like game by its smell, not just species, but like that. And we're talking where they're not switching pieces of game. I, I think that they know each individual animal has a different smell. Like they know which one's, which I, I, I would agree with that. I think so too. I, uh, I've often wondered, you know, I leave a lot of game up and I'll go back in there and tree the tree, the same varmint over and over. And I kind of figure them. They get to know it. know it, you know, yeah. I think so too. I mean, and that's the best part about hunting, you know, with guys that leave stuff in trees. Yeah, I really appreciate it. You know, there's some ground that we've all hunted and, you know, when you can go in and run a piece of game and then talk about it, it's like, oh man, he gave me the slip. Well, where were you? Oh, well, he came burning down this and he jumped here and, you know, Yep. I know right where, right where it happened. I usually pick it up over here or, you know, you get to know the game just as well as the dogs. Yeah. And I think it makes a big difference. It's a, it's pretty fun when you get on one that's trained up and knows how to run and, and knows its tricks. And I mean, the greatest one we ever ran, I'll tell you, was six hours jumped and it was, God, that was fun. Not <laughs> fun the next day. Cause we had to come home and throw dogs away in the kennel. And then turn around and drive straight down to the California Houndsman Banquet with no sleep. But, like, we started that track, and it, it was full-blown jumped race for six hours, and it was the greatest-sounding thing I've ever heard in the woods. It's, those, are, those, are, those are good races, I'll tell you. There, there's a big difference between, you know, a game that's never been taught how to run. <laughs> you know, those yeah. five, ten-minute pop-ups are fun, but you get on them that know what they're doing and learn. And That's I think you, a lot of that has to do with the dogs and, and they do learn that, that piece of game and they know, they know when those tricks are coming. Yep. The, the, well, the smart ones do. I think, you know, there's some dogs, I don't think they can ever learn anything, but <laughs> you take a dog that's got some reasonably good intelligence and they learn like, you know, just like going through culverts, you know, Yep. you get some, some young dogs or something, they might hang up at the one end of that culvert or, well, some might go through it, but. After a while, you're a good one. They'll learn to pick that head up and go on the other side of the road and 
and uh, pick the track if it went on through it you know pick the track up going out you know and and uh, even checking yeah. culverts like going down the road i i rode my dogs you know yeah. so it's like one of them figures out to check a culvert one time and if it's got brains every time there's a low spot that dog's diving for the ditch you know it yeah, they, knows hey there could <laughs> be something here they go down there and check it out yep yeah and you know you know darn good and well there's bad stuff that hangs out in culverts too <laughs> you know they've never oh, yeah. seemed to be deterred by that but i oh, know yeah. that's when i kind of first started thinking about the game having its own individual identifying scent was you know when i first started i bought a dog named thumper from a buddy of mine hunting partner at the time and i took that dog out and i'm telling you i I had him in the road with another buddy russ we were roading dogs down the pavement and these dogs kept bumping you like you know bark a couple times and they'd go on but like you could tell something had gone down the road and i i was not happy because this dog was just kind of ignoring it and you know at the time i was new in the sport and i needed a good dog and I'd heard lots of good things about him, but he just wasn't wanting to to go. Well, about the time I was thinking he wasn't going to, he got right up in the middle of a mess. Sorry, Russ, I'm not talking crap about your dogs, but (laughs) it was a skunk, (laughs) you know, and he he got sucked into it too. Well, that dog was so green in the face. I mean, wallering around eyes, just water and he's green. If you've never (laughs) seen a skunk spray close up, let me tell you, it's a different monster. Uh, I have many times, right? You know, collars are turning colors and it's, it's (laughs) the nastiest substance on the planet, I think. Uh, So we throw him up on the box and, you know, in my mind, it's like my night's done. This dog's nose is jacked up. He's not going to be able to smell anything. And then he's curled up there on top of the rig sleeping. And, you know, I don't think anything's going to happen. Next thing you know, that dog's feet, he just jumps to him and goes to strike him. And, you know, there's a couple dogs. We turn them loose. And, I mean, we had a race on. And I'm like, that is that was the most mind-blowing moment early on in my <laughs> hound hunting that through all that just nasty stink, he smelled what he was supposed to be chasing and let us know. And, you know, he turned out to be, he was a great dog. You know, it took him a while for him and me to figure it out. But, you know, I had to learn that that dog definitely knew more than I did, whether I thought so at the time or not. And looking back, it's like that dog taught me a lot, a lot more once he was gone, even than when I was hunting him and, and mm-hmm. sent an animal identification. I believe a hundred percent because of that dog, they know. Oh yeah. I think, uh, you know, it takes a, I rate most of my dogs I raise from puppies. So I, you know, I know them from the ground up, but if you go guys that buy a dog, you know, you're not going to, it's going to, it's going to take, it's going to take weeks, maybe months or longer to, to learn that dog and all its habits mm-hmm. and traits and stuff, you know, that, that, uh, that he has, but you know, it, it, you just don't, every dog's different too. So you gotta, you gotta hunt them for a while to, uh, to learn them and it's, that's a mistake some people make when they get a dog they don't give it a i mean you only go for the trial period but but uh, they don't hunt a dog long enough to learn its traits you know and right and uh, and if you know with a new owner and stuff they might they won't some of them don't act the, don't act the same you know because i've sold dogs that were just man shy and uh the guys had to 
one guy, he kept the dog. I told him to bring her back, but he wanted to, he kept her for two or three more weeks. And he said, she was fine then. And, and, uh, she, he went to catching cat with her, you know, and, and yeah. it just took a little, just took a little time to get to know the dog and her get, and her get to know him, you know, so. And I think they that, know when there's that. an ownership change, you know, oh, um, yeah. yeah, I've bought enough dogs over the years. I mean, I'm not a guy that is known for, for training dogs or making dogs honestly because i got a family and (laughs) i don't hunt as much as it takes to make a lot of dogs but you know it's one of those things that they see an ownership change and you do if your program is different it's almost like a reset switch some of them and very few i think you can just hand to somebody and they go perform a hundred percent the way they always do like a machine right i think like you know, even ownership changes as far as game and like dogs that have never ran a deer and all of a sudden are like burning them up while well, something happened in that dog's brain to think it was okay. And I think some of that is just the program or changing owners because they're, I, they're, they're animals. I mean, yeah, they, I, they know. I think a lot of that, I think they all, I think a dog will actually test you, a new owner, you mm-hmm. know, they know, you know, like you just like you said, you're the, the new owners handle them a little different or something. So they might something they wouldn't do for their past owner. They might, uh, well, I'll just I'll just try this, see if I can get away with it or whatever, you know. And and uh, the dogs are pretty; they're a lot more intelligent. Some of them they're a lot more intelligent than what a guy thinks they are, you know. Yeah, you don't give them near enough credit, especially when you're new and you think you know everything. Let me tell you, right? <laughs> that dog probably knows a lot more. At least all mine did. Yeah, they're they're quite an amazing animal, especially like when you get one that's got some intelligence. You know, they'll they'll constantly surprise you. You know, mm-hmm. if you hunt a bunch of them or several of them, and you got one that you'll be running a cat or a fox, and you'll think it's lost, and this one dog will pull it out some way or another. It figures it out and pulls it out of the bag and trees it. You know, you kind of you kind of wonder, well, what makes him so special? How come he figured it out and they didn't? Or or whatever you know and it just it usually comes i mean it comes down to intelligence most of the time you know something they can figure right. out that that another dog just doesn't have the brain power to you know yeah some never learn i've had some of them no. too it's like is this your first trip to the woods yeah you're doing the job but like you're not you can tell you didn't learn it you can you know a lot of guys think uh uh you can just if you repeat something enough a dog will learn it and that's true for some dogs but there's some of them you could hunt from birth to death and they'll never learn it, you know? Yep. And it's just those, when I was young, I kept, uh, I'd get a dog and do a little bit of something and I'd hold on to that thing for years, you know? And, and they're just, and you get another dog, you take it out there a few times and it just starts doing it, you know? And after a while, I, well, man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not going to put that kind of time in the dog. There's something I can get something that'll do better quicker, you know? So, uh, who wants to, I do give my, I mentioned this, but I give my dogs, uh, till they're two and a half. If, if they're not treeing by then, then I get rid of them, you know, mm-hmm. and I've had them, I've had them, well, like Romeo was eight months, but most of them are treeing probably somewhere from 18 months to two and a half. And, you know, the registered dogs usually tree a little bit quicker, right? But, uh, I figure by the time they're two and a half, well, actually they should be doing everything by then. If, if you raise them from a pub and hunt them steady and stuff, but right but but at the same time i've also also known guys that had dogs that didn't start treeing until they were five years old and that was walkers you know but that's and that's something uh some old timers will tell you that back 
50 years ago, that wasn't unusual for them to wait that long mm-hmm. to go to tree and some of them. But, uh, I mean, you know, who, you know, for the average guy, you know, that's half the life of the dog, you know, uh, right. it just kind of, it's kind of a waste of time to me, I guess maybe, but if, uh, if you held on to that, I know one of them was made a dang good, it was a good cat dog after he started treeing, you know, right. but, uh, that's a little too long for me to hold on to him. Well, like you said, you know, you can get into something that's going to do it all earlier and then they're constantly making progression where the other ones, it's like, they're never going to meet. Yeah. There's a level, right. An unspoken level we expect to see them at. Yep. That's, they got that. They just reach, they reach their peak and that's it. And that's, that's another thing about tree. And I was going to mention, uh, all dogs got a tree switch in them. But it ain't set for the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I like you that. that some of them will start treeing, you know, like registered dogs generally tree earlier, but not always. I, the raisin's dad was a registered and he was two and a half, the right to the, my limit before he started treeing. And, uh, but I've had, uh, you know, like uh, several dogs that were tree right around, oh, probably 12, 15 months old started treeing, you know, and then a lot of them, out in this country, they got a running dog in them. A lot of them won't tree till right around two, mm-hmm. and then maybe two and a half. You know, so a lot gotta, of game. They, yeah, it, that takes uh, it takes game repetition. You know, on that and getting to and keeping them away from junk. You know, you can take a good bred tree dog and put it with something that's dumb like a back tracker and have that thing run in a little while. You know, yeah, if you don't catch it or put the QTs to it for a while quickly. Well, and that's, I think a lot of people get age too in their head. You know, you think about a two-year-old dog, but if he's only been to the woods a half dozen times, you know, right. it's, it's game exposure. <laughs> and I that's know you guys, I know you're out chasing Fox and Bobcat. And I was going to ask you this because everybody wants to know, and I hate answering this question. <laughs> what, what do you think is a bigger challenge for the dog, the Fox or the cats? Well, on, <laughs> I think a fox actually runs harder, but it's, uh, but they're easier to locate. And a bobcat is, uh, you know, it's a lot harder to locate on. Mm-hmm. But I think a fox, there's dogs, there's dogs that can tree bobcat fairly consistently, but it can't tree fox. Yeah. So the little fox is running little son of a guns. Yeah. It's, and that's what I hear a lot from the guys, you know, that are serious hunters is home. I know Mike talks about it all the time. You know, finding a dog that'll consistently catch a gray fox is it, that's a dog. Yeah. You know, I'm a lot of dogs can catch them, and I'm not trying to sound like an elitist, you know, but I am saying consistency with those things. If you're catching them regular, man, you got something in your kennel. Yeah, they. <laughs> I'll tell you, they're just. A good thing about them is they don't generally, a cattle, I believe a bobcat actually will cover more ground, uh, cover more, more area territory. than a fox. Yeah, a fox will kind of stay, once you get them jumped, they'll stay like in a valley or sometimes you don't even have to move the pickup, you know. Right. Uh, an old bobcat gets a lead on them and they, they start, they're going over the next mountain sometimes, you know. So yeah, that's another little another little difference. But there, there are a lot of similarities. They kind of run a lot alike when they're circling circle duckle duckle and duck and dodge you know uh they run pretty similar to each other but i don't know just you gotta the fox just seems like they gotta have a little extra little extra oomph in them to, to yeah. treat those things you know <laughs> they got an extra gear yeah 
and they're you know they don't weigh nothing i've I've seen them come across the road and they look like they didn't look like their feet ever touch the ground look like they just floated across you know and they're a small animal too you know and, mm-hmm. and uh, i've often said they make a bobcat look clumsy when if you ever watch one of them you know yeah i mean the biggest one i think i've ever weighed because i was with the cascade houndsman association you know doing their weigh-ins for a while back and you know i think the biggest one we ever weighed in was like nine pounds like that's a that's a big fox you know 11 yep. 12 pounder that's a giant yes I, I don't think i've i don't think i've ever treated 11 pounder i think I, I keep records on all mine but i think i know usually about i think the average is like eight or nine pounds for an mm-hmm. adult but uh i think i might have caught a 10 pounder a time or two and that's and now like just like you said that's a that's a big looking fox right there you know yeah and it's it's a small scent pad you know those feet are not real big they're like a kitten (laughs) tiny yeah but like sonny turner told me he says son as long as they're up and they're sweating you're in business you know you get them cooled down and they get out from under them and out of the pocket it's it's a little different story getting them you know trailed back up and under him but he says you keep under him and stinking you got a race going yeah there i think uh, i i think i've actually uh tended to catch a few more of them on the ground that just for whatever reason they didn't want a tree you know and and the mm-hmm. dogs eventually overhaul them you know but but uh, uh i mean that ain't taken away from bobcat they're <laughs> bobcat i think they lose you more out of brains i think oh just, yeah uh, they're a different know, they're monster slipping. too. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not slipping. good at them, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, slipping back and forth on their track and laying down and they just pull all kinds of tricks and that's where that's where the old dogs gotta have some brains and start doing some thinking on them, you know. That's and like you just hit it on the head. I love that about like when you were talking about kind of knowing what you're running by how they're running. And it's always fun. Like there was one race one night and this thing was ducking and backtracking i mean and it it was to a t in my mind a cat like there's no doubt in my mind we are running a bobcat right now he squatted on us probably a half dozen times within a hundred yards and these dogs are just ripping back and forth and he'd pick him up and it, i mean it was a train wreck waiting to happen and they put him up and it was a fox and it's like that is the weirdest running fox <laughs> i've ever been on in my life and it, I guess they all could learn the same tricks, but it is funny how those cats like to duck, especially if you're running them hot and hot on them. Yeah. They just, uh, I don't know. They just, I think what, I know what happens. I've seen them lay down, but for whatever reason, and especially they usually, they'll lay down where they've already, where they've run around in a circle mm-hmm. for a half hour. They'll get out there and lay down in it and them dogs will run all over them and, then the cat finally gets a little breather. They get a little far away from him. It'll jump up and take off again, you know, or they step on him. <laughs> if he's not yeah. real smart and picks a bad spot, you know, it's, <laughs> Oh yeah. That's I, I was running one, one time and I was up in the road and the dogs were down in a Creek in a Rocky Creek. And I seen the cat come jump up, come up on this boulder and it just laid down and it laid there for a minute or two. One of the dogs come up there and run it off. And they run around there again a little while longer. Pretty soon the cat come right back on that same rock and laid down again. Then a different dog come up there and spooked it and it jumped back off in the creek. But when it jumped off in the creek, it jumped right in the middle of the rest of the dogs. Oh, no. fight was on, you know, so. Yeah, that's never fun. Those cats (laughs) are 
not real fun to catch like that. I like seeing no. them way up there. <laughs> I know. I like, uh, uh, you know, you get, it don't take much of a bite or something. You got it. Then your doctor and dogs getting, get, I was hunting for antibiotics here a while back to doctor my dog up. They got ate up on one, you know, and uh, nowadays the way they've got the antibiotics, you got to go to a vet, you know, so it costs you X money. So I just assume they let me decide whether the cat gets taken or not, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a little nicer when you're in the driver's seat. Yeah. Yeah. You make the decision, but you know, sometimes it just, it doesn't happen that way, but, but uh, I had my preference. I want him up a tree. Right. Now you hunt a lot. I know with your grandson, does he like the cat hunting or the fox hunting more? Does he just like being out there with grandpa? I think he just likes being out there with me. Yeah. He might like cat a little better. We've been treating more of them. The fox, the couple of places I hunted fox got thinned out. So there's not as many fox in there. So we actually been treeing more bobcat, but. And we tree some, we tree some dang long tails, not, you know, we're not looking for them anymore, but there's getting to be so many of them. It's hard to keep your, hard to keep your dogs off of them. That's that one story I wrote in there. That's what that was about. You know, it just, uh, mm-hmm. we were out fox hunting and run across that dang thing. But, uh, that was, that was quite an event, but he likes, I think he just likes it all. He's getting, you know, he's getting these pups. He's this dog's his and that dog's his, you know, and, and uh, Hopefully, I, I after that hunt we were on there that got bee stung on. He swore he was never going to go hunting with me again after that, but he oh, changed no. his mind since then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I know that's an article. Um, I got to talk to Danny. That's going to be coming out in a, a future issue of Full Cry. I don't know if it made it in this one just because of space, but yeah. for all you listeners that are aware of Full Cry magazine, I'll shameless plug it again. Robin wrote an article for us and. Yeah, those yellow jackets, man. That is not fun. <laughs> Poor kid. Oh, I know. We both, he got, oh, if it had been the summertime, I don't know what would happen, but the, we, our clothes protected us, you know, but then they get you in the face and the hands and some of them got up under my shirt and got going around my belt. They ended up uh, stinging me all around the top of my belt, you know, and that's, I don't know, it's got a burning, itching, itching feeling for oh yeah for a day or two after that you know and he got sick that night from it i don't know if it was from the bee stings or not but he threw up several times that night uh man i've been there that is that is rough like do you guys have the bald face hornets up there well these were yeah we do but these were yellow jackets yeah they're almost in the ground they were in the ground and i'll tell you it's something a squirrel or a skunk they didn't if it had been like a bear i would have knew to avoid it but it was just a little scratch on the, over the hole there, probably mm-hmm. a skunk. And I just didn't think I walked over it, boy, and boy, here they come. They was madder and they were madder than hornets. And they let us know it, you know? Oh yeah. And you get hit more than a couple of times. I know I took a buddy of mine and it was his first trip hunting with me. First trip with dogs. I'm wearing a bright orange t-shirt and I stepped oh. on one of those bald face hornets nests oh. and they chased us down the mountain to the point I told him, like, I'm starting to shake. You need to drive. If I can't drive, I'm going to pull over. You got to go down this road. I gave him directions. You get to the blacktop and you haul because I'm not allergic. But when you get hit 15, 20 times, right. oh, my yep. God, that was the worst feeling as far as, like, pain and just your mind not being right. It, it'll make you foggy. And that adrenal rush is just, God, that was horrible. A kid, I, I can imagine it would really mess with. Yeah, they, well, 
he, you know, we didn't, it was, took us a couple hours to get out of the canyon. So I knew he wasn't like having any symptoms at the time, but sure. they said that could have, you know, kind of caused him to get a little sick later. But, but, uh, if we'd, uh, you know, they were, they were all over him, uh, they, they couldn't sting. They were trying to sting through his shirt, but you, they couldn't, you know, they stingers wouldn't reach through the shirt or he'd have, well, we might've both been dead. Up, you know, <laughs> right. They were, they were just, I don't know, hundreds of them. He probably had, uh, his back was completely covered when we stopped and they were all from his shoulders to his waist. They were just trying to dig it. You could see him trying to sting and I just started smashing them. But if that many bees that had actually stung him, you know, right. all of them got to his body, there could have been a real problem there. At least he's still going back for more. Yeah, he, he it discouraged him for a little bit, but then he was ready to go the next time. <laughs> no, that's great, man. Well, I'll tell you what, Robert, I appreciate you coming on. I already tied up an hour of your night, but, you know, I appreciate you getting back on with me. We had a really good conversation on the phone the other day, and I appreciate you getting back on and kind of rehashing some of that for the listeners, and we'll have to – maybe think about trying this again okay well you know how it is about helming and talking it's it's pretty easy huh <laughs> yeah, yeah we're talking about the past and the future and what's going on now it's pretty easy to time <laughs> time goes by pretty fast talking about the old hounds oh i know well i've really enjoyed it stay in touch and um maybe i'll hit you up for part two i want to talk about some of these pups that you're saying you got off of Romeo and like, as they progress, I'd like to touch base with you again and you know, maybe do okay. a little comparison. Cause I think that was a topic that just came up in our conversation about, you know, the same crosses and, and performance. Yeah. It'd be nice yeah. to get back with you if you're up for it and kind of talk on oh, that a little been. more. Oh, I got all kinds of time. That's all I've, I've been laid up because of the weather here lately, but that's when you're retired, you got all kinds of time and nothing better to do than talk about hunting. <laughs> Well, we appreciate it, bud. You have yourself a good evening. All right, Jason. It's good talking to you, and we'll talk to you later. All righty. All righty.